Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3. And if you're watching online, we are so glad that you are. My name is Josh. I am uh, one of the pastors here with the Second Family, and you're online. This, uh, this, what you're watching here is in West Conway. There's also a gathering in Greenbrier. We are so excited that everybody is joining with us today. Uh, one church, multiple locations, and, and just making much of Jesus in our county. Hopefully making a difference as well. Uh, here recently was my birthday, and I turned all of 39. My wife got me a solo stove, and I was really excited about this. I wanted a solo stove. I've wanted one of these for like a year and a half. They are not stoves. Uh, it's a, it's a, uh, it's like a, uh, what do you call it? Like a, what am I thinking of? Uh, a fire pit, a fire pit. Yeah, a little firebox. And so I don't know why it calls it a solo stove, but it does. And the advertising on these things is that they are smokeless. Isn't that amazing? Like you build a fire in there, you don't get, all, you don't smell like smoke when it's all done. And so that's why I wanted one for a long time. So she gave me one. Uh, they, they did for my birthday. And on the 22nd, uh, my birthday's on the 21st, on the 22nd, it was cold enough to uh, start a fire, all right? So I was going to try this puppy out. And I, I go out there, I build a fire, and I'm here to tell you, I have never seen so much smoke. I have never been around so much smoke. Almost smoked me off the back porch, and uh, the dog still smells like smoke. There was so much smoke um, coming out of my smokeless fire pits. It turns out that it was my bad. Uh, the, the fire starter that I was using and the way I built, turns out, I, I, apparently I built fires wrong. Uh, I, I watched a YouTube video and uh, I did it right the next time. And I would say it's less smoke, not smoke less. All right. There's a lot less smoke, but it is not smokeless. It kind of reminded me of those circumstances in which you're a little disappointed. You're like, you got something you really want, you get it. And then, you know, you're disappointed. Has that ever happened to anybody? Like you really want something and you're like, eh, this didn't turn out exactly like, what about like a, a restaurant? Have you thought about that? A new restaurant comes to town, you're excited about it and everybody's talking about it and you go and you're like, this isn't very good, you know? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me, it's happened to me. Or you go and uh, you ask the waiter or the waitress, you're like, what is the very best thing here on um, this menu, that sort of thing. And they're like, well, I love this. And so you're like, that's what I'll have, you know? And then they bring it to you and you wonder if they've ever tasted food before in your life. You're like, oh, this person likes salt, a lot of salt, you know, that sort of thing. It's a little disappointing, you know? Or, and this is common, you, 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 you buy a new thing like a, a computer laptop or a, a car vehicle, and there's this feature you have to have. I mean, you want that feature on there. And then you, you have it for a couple months and you never, ever, ever use that feature. You know what I'm talking about? It's a little, it's, it's disappointing. You look back and you're a little bit disappointed. And as much as we deal with those things all of the time, there are greater disappointments in our life, right? I mean, we can deal with the restaurant not being that great or the laptop not being exactly what we expected. But you know, you know what's really hard? is when you're like disappointed in yourself. You know how hard it is when you, when you think about what you have accomplished or what you have not accomplished, what you haven't got done the way that you wanted it to get done. When you look at the sum total of your life 
And you think to yourself that you are disappointed in that. What we're looking at in this text here today in Philippians chapter 3, Paul lays out sort of this similar assessment. He looks back on his life and he says, there was this whole time, there was this whole area of my life in which I look back and I just feel like it is a disappointment. In his words, he says, it's not worth being flushed, all right? It's just that's worthless. But the good news is that I hope that we can learn from his assessment, sort of internalize that, and we can readjust, we can course correct in which maybe the past has been a disappointment. But like Paul, we can join with him and live the rest of our lives in a way that will never disappoint, in a way that will always fulfill at the end of the day. So let's pray together and we'll start to look at Philippians chapter 3. God, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to gather together. God, we thank you for those in this room who have come together to encourage, to love, to, to, to bless one another, who sing together. God, we thank you for our choir and the voices that were lifted up. We thank you for the congregation and the voices that were lifted back. God, we pray for those who are watching online the Greenbrier campus. I pray that there is this uh, divine spirit of unity amongst all of us, that we would continue to pursue after you. God, that we would leave today. We would walk into this afternoon laying aside the, the entanglement of perfection. And instead, God, we would just pursue you. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. And to be honest with you, you could really preach all of the chapter. You could study all of the chapter. And the elements that are involved in that chapter all the way throughout are sort of summarized in 10 through 14 and even more specifically summarized in 12. But before we get to that, let's just look at what it says. In, in verse 10, it says, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Verse 12 says, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. 13, 14, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing that I do, Forgetting what is behind and reaching, that's like straining, stretching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. Like I said, 10 through 14 really summarizes the whole chapter. I think that verse 12 really could summarize. You find all the elements of what Paul is teaching in chapter 3, right here in this one verse. He begins by bringing to light this idea of a goal, right? You saw him repeat that word over and over. This is all about a goal that we are stretching forward to, that we are trying to achieve. Now, when I say goal, many of us have in our minds the, uh, some sort of sports kind of relationship, right? If you think about a goal, you might think about uh, a touchdown in football. You might think of a basket in basketball the, uh, or a goal, you know, like goal in soccer, that sort of thing. We, we think about goal in this idea of what I will call a line. There is a line between attempting, maybe even with opposition, but attempting and then succeeding. 
That line, that moment, when, when the ball goes through the hoop, that is a goal. And we achieve those sort of goals. We have personal goals as well. We might set some sort of weight loss goal or our miles ran goal or how many books we're going to read in a certain span of time or how many uh, new uh, sales leads we're going to acquire within a certain week. These are our goals, these personal things, but all of them stem back or are rooted in the idea that there's going to be an attempt or a, a trying and then at some point I will cross that goal. That's when I have achieved the goal. And Paul actually begins this section with outlining some of the goals that he pursued and that he achieved, right? So I don't have this on the slide on purpose. I want you to use the Bible, hold the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the lobby. I'd love to give you one of those. It's the same translation, English version that I'm using here. But in your one that you have in your hands there, look up at verse 4. At verse 4, Paul is really sort of outlining or starting off this conversation about goals with saying that he has set some goals and even achieved those goals. Verse 4 says, although I have reason for confidence in the flesh. He says, I, I have a very good reason to be confident, arrogant, boastful, even puffed up. If anyone else thinks he or she has grounds for confidence in the flesh, listen to what Paul says, I have more. So no matter what you think you've done that's good, Paul says, I have done better. All right, that's, that's how he starts off this conversation. So whatever your goal is, Paul's like, that's cute. But I really, I, I mean, I, I crushed my own goal. I destroyed your goal. Look at what he says. I have, um, verse five, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, uh, uh, regarding zeal, persecuted the church. Regarding righteousness, this that is in the law, blameless. Look at those three goals or those three areas he said there. Regarding the law, Pharisee. Regarding zeal, persecuted the church. Regarding righteousness, blameless. Now, many of you probably have at some point, maybe you keep up with it now, but at some point maybe you had a, a journal, a goals journal for the week. You set up some goals, maybe you set up a yearly goal, and then you broke that down into months, and you have uh, your daily to-dos. These habits are going to get you toward reaching that goal. Maybe it's just called a syllabus, right? And you're looking at this like, this is a good goal to try to achieve. I don't know if I'm going to do all of it, but it's a good goal. You know, we have these things that we've set outside, and I don't know what your goal journal is. I don't know what your syllabus looks like, but I'm sure that none of you have persecuting the church as your top goal, right? I'm going to destroy, I'm going to beat up some Christians. If that is on your to-do list, you are loved, you are blessed. I just want to introduce you to a ministry we call the security team um, here at the church, right? And they would love to have a conversation with you outside, all right? So there's this idea where Paul has set up these different goals. He's keeping the law and persecuting the church and the zeal. And what does that mean? I, I'm, what I'm trying to point out is this isn't our goals, this isn't the kind of things that we would pursue, but at the same time, they're not different than the things that we pursue. You could look at them in three categories. The first one he says is within his community, where he lived. We would call this, or he uses the word that he was confident that he kept the law. We would call this citizenship. That as he walked through the community, people knew him. They recognized him. He kept up with the law and he was a good citizen, a good community leader. His peers respected him. 
When he walked into small business meetings, they knew who he was. They, they respected his opinion. When he was at Bob's Grill, they, they, they wanted to stop by his table and talk to him and kind of hear about his opinion on the community. In the community, Paul had confidence that he achieved that goal. And there's a lot of us that have similar You want to be respected in the community, in your community of uh, professional peers, that sort of thing. And he had that goal. He achieved that goal. Not only in the community, but also this self, um, in, in his own self, within his own personal being. It said, regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Now, let's just set aside for a minute that we are the church, and he was persecuting um, family members, that sort of thing. But what he was believing he was doing was he had this cause, this thing within him. It wasn't his job, and it wasn't his, uh, his hobby. This was his passion. This was his cause that he leveraged his life for. There were other Pharisees that were not running around um, beating up, Christians. This was something he was really passionate about. And we see that now, right? Have you ever met anybody and within a few moments they're starting to talk about something that they're passionate about? They're not talking about their job. They're talking about their, their cause, the thing that they're doing. They're, they're working on um, conserving this or protecting this. Sometimes you might meet somebody and immediately they start talking about their grandchildren because that's what they are passionate about. You would almost feel like their professional job is Uh, loving those grandchildren, that sort of thing. That's the difference in what he did when he said, this is my community goal, but then regarding zeal, I was passionate. In my passions, I was the best there was. But not only the community, not only the self, but also his God. He says, regarding righteousness, spotless, blameless. He was the very best. And I got to say, like, we may not think of it this way. We don't think of this as much in our personal lives, but we really see this in the way that we raise young people, the way that we raise children, the way that we have expectations for the next generation. Let me explain it this way. There's a lot of times where we are more concerned that they, um, that they act a certain way, that they behave a certain way. We are more concerned that they present themselves in public a certain way than we are that they would know Jesus and walk with Jesus. We're just, we're just concerned that they're not going to embarrass us out in public instead of being concerned that they love Jesus and they walk with Jesus, that, that they fulfill all of my expectations for them, right? That they would grow up and that they would go to a good college and that they would, um, they would get a good job, right? And they would, they, I only have boys. And so they would, they would marry a, a sweet, um, godly acting girl. You know, I don't really know if she walks with Jesus or anything, but that they would live that life and that they wouldn't move real far. And, and like on Saturday, We would have dinner or something. That's our major concern in life. And so when they do something crazy, like tell us that they they have surrendered to go to the mission field, we're like, whoa, hey, oh, that's not the way, that's not the plan that I had for you, right? The other day we were just driving, uh, me and Leland, and I asked him, so I said, uh, when you grow up and get married and you have children and all that, you and and your brothers, are y'all going to come over and um, eat like on Saturday night, every Saturday night? Are you going to like do dinner uh, on Sundays or something? He goes, eh, probably not. And I said, why not? He goes, I don't know. I have stuff to do. And it's like, and he wasn't joking. He's like, seriously, he's like, probably. This just doesn't sound like something I'm going to do, you know? It's like, all right, okay. So, We see that kind of concern, and Paul says he was 
what we would put in our modern vernacular, he was the best at cultural Christianity. He was the best at a godless religion. That's how, I mean, obviously we look back and know there's no way God was leading you to kill people. There was no way that God was leading you to stone people, and yet he was the very best. And so this lands with us in sort of a weird way. Let me ask you this question. You really need to answer this in your own mind. How or what is your goal? What are you leveraging your whole life for, your passions and and your talents, your money, your energy, your time? What are you leveraging everything toward? What is your absolute passion, your absolute goal? If we could get dead level honest with each other, if you were to face death within the next hour, if I was to tell you within the next hour you will pass and you look back on your life, what is the thing that you are most proud that you accomplished? What is that thing that you would hold up and say, that is why I was put on this planet? What is that thing? Really answer that question. For those of you who have maybe lived a little longer, you've achieved most of the to-do list and the bucket list, you've accomplished those things. Let me ask you this question for the rest of us, and maybe you can um, answer directly to some other person at another time. But if you've accomplished all of the goals, was it fulfilling? When you crossed that line, was it the highest of heights? Are you still on cloud nine that you checked that box? Or was it okay? Was it, you know, less smoke, not really smokeless? It'll work for a fire pit. Because we chase after these things all the time. And the question is, are they really worth it? Do they have the, I'm not saying that they are worth less, but are they worth everything? At some point, Paul really drills down to this idea that these things are not worth everything that he thought they would. The community, the self, and and the God relationship that was apart from God. Something happened to Paul that interjected, interrupted, changed the course that he was on. We read about it in Acts chapter 9. He'll recount it later on in Acts. And what's happening is Paul was literally on a path. He was on a road chasing down this zealous passion that he had, the the sort of activity that got him respect, the thing that he thought God was behind. He was on that path and Jesus interrupted him. Jesus got in the way of what he thought he was going to do and that changed everything. Jesus stood in between and introduced himself and that sort of Uh, reality changed everything. So this is a good part for me to pause. This is a good place for me to pause and just invite you to answer the question, have you ever met Jesus in that way? Have you ever met Jesus in the sort of way that says, Jesus is worth more than anything else I could ever accomplish? Knowing him is worth more than anything I might try to do. Have you ever met Jesus in that sort of way? And if you haven't today, now do that. Accept Jesus. Submit to Jesus as your Lord. Jesus introduces himself to Paul and he says, look, I'm in charge. And Paul realized at that point that everything else was what he called dung. What he called dung. That's what the CSB uses. Other translations use the word rubbish, filth, garbage. A direct translation would be human excrements. Uh, Pastor David and I talked uh, a couple times this week on what English word are we going to use to try to really capture uh, the, the idea behind what 
Paul is using in this word. And I can't come up with a good one, but I think y'all know what I'm saying without y'all trying to make me say it, all right? Paul says, all of those other accomplishments, flush them. They're just worthless to me. Now hear me. Make sure that we're following each other. Make sure that we're still in the same thing. These things are not of no value. It's good to be respected. It's good to be a, a, a good father and a good mother, a good son, a good citizen. These things are good. And we as Christians are supposed to be the salt and the life in this world. All he's saying is that the accolades on the wall, oh, those accomplishments that you put in your Twitter bio, all of that sort of stuff is worthless compared to actually knowing Jesus. That's what he's saying there. It's not that they don't have value. It's just that compared to Jesus, they seem as though they have no value. With that whole goal now being considered worthless or garbage, Paul then discovers a new goal, a new purpose, a new thing to chase after. We see it in verse 10 and in verse 14. Look with your eyes uh, to that text there. It says, my goal is to know him, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Verse 14, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He says, this is what I want to do. I want to know Jesus. I want to know his power, his fellowship, and his confirmation. I want to be conformed more like Jesus. This is the way we talk about Jesus. We, we say these same things. I want to know God's power in my life over this addiction. I want to know God's power in my life when I'm tempted to go this way or when I'm tempted to think these things. I need God's power in my life to really work in this way in a way that he would want me to. That's what we talk about with his power and we talk about his fellowship because often we will look up in our lives and, and feel so alone. We feel so hopeless and we want to know the fellowship of Jesus so that regardless of what's happening in our lives, we are walking with Jesus. We know his power, we know his fellowship, and I want to be more like Jesus. A little more like Jesus, a little less like me is how the song goes. I want to be that way because when we think of Jesus, we think of this, this, this confident, this, this loving person, the, the life of the party. I want to be like that. These are the things that we want. We want those things when we think of Jesus. But notice how Paul says you get those things. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, and being conformed to his death. Here's the deal. Paul says that I want to know him and I understand that in order for me to be a little more like Jesus and a little less like me doesn't mean that I need to be my best me. All right, the, the power of walking with Jesus is not realizing your best self now. The power of knowing Jesus more and more is that you would die to yourself. That you would suffer through the laying down of everything that you thought was valuable and the setting aside of your own perspectives and, and your own um, uh, thoughts when they do not align with Jesus's. That you would die to yourself regularly and that's suffering. That's death. That's resurrection. You know, Jesus experienced resurrection, but he only experienced resurrection through the cross. You only experience the power of Jesus through these things. Everybody in this room know who Princess Diana was? I don't want to assume. Some people may not. But then there was a Netflix show, so now I think everybody does, all right? So there's Princess Di. And does everybody know who uh, Mother Teresa uh, was? Do y'all know that? Y'all everybody know? Everybody in this section know? Okay, perfect, great. So Princess Di, Mother Teresa, did you know, did you know 
that Mother Teresa died the day before Princess Di's funeral. Did y'all know that? They died the same week. You know how you probably didn't know that or realize that? Because Princess Di was famous. She was really, really famous. And she did good things, right? She did a lot of dumb things because I've watched the Netflix thing. But she's also, she did some good things, right? She did some good things. Mother Teresa did some great things as well. But what those two people do, not perfectly, but they set up this exposure of our own hearts. I heard this author talk about those two. He wrote a book um, which dealt with this subject just a little bit. But those two women set up as these models that expose our own hearts. Let me explain what he says there. He says that we look at somebody like Princess Di and we want that life. We want to be like that. We want that sort of influence. And yet we know there's only one Princess Di. There's only one person who marries the Prince of Wales. Or, you know, multiple, but that's a different story. Soap opera. But there's only one person that marries the Prince. We're not all beautiful and attractive the way that she was considered to be beautiful and attractive. In other words, we have no shot at being Princess Di. We are not Princess Di. We will not achieve Princess Di. And yet, on the other hand, you have this other model, this other person who just opened herself up to Christ and lived a selfless life. In other words, we can't ever be Princess Di. Like, I don't, I don't mean to like, pop your balloon or something like that, but you're not going to be a princess. But Mother Teresa, this saint, we could all do, every one of us could wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to follow the path of Mother Teresa in which I open up my heart and sacrifice for other people. We could all do that. And yet our hearts are so wickedly bent toward chasing after Princess Di. Why? Why? Because we don't want the anonymity. We don't want the isolation. We don't want the suffering that goes along with Mother Teresa. We don't want that part of it. See, this is the point, really. We can be known. We can know Christ. He's available. And this is the goal, to know him and the power of his fellowship. However, we struggle with fully giving ourselves to that goal because we are unwilling to do what it takes to get there. So at this point, I think that we often feel, or at least I do, I'm not going to project this on you. I feel defeated, right? Uh, Discouraged. Because on one hand, you have Paul saying, this goal, this thing over here that we are all so bent on chasing is rubbish. It needs to be uh, flushed. And so that's over there. I don't want to do that, you know. But then on this hand, Paul says that this is the goal worth pursuing, but it's hard. And it's suffering and it's death and it's not good, you know. It's not, it's not attractive. Like this one's attractive, but it's not good. And so I stand there in the middle thinking, I'll never be successful. I'll never cross that line. I'll never reach that goal. This goal is worthless and that goal is unattainable. That's the way that we think about it. But let's just uh, reevaluate that for a second. Because remember, we think of goals as crossing some sort of line of moving from trying to succeeding. When you cross that line, when you make that basket, when you sell that many products, finish that weld, harvest, harvest that field, pass that test, complete that surgery, graduate that last child, fold the laundry, then we have accomplished our goal. We set up a goal and we accomplish that goal. These are the sort of goals we have in our weeks and in our, in our days and in our months. And ultimately, we want to look back and see some sort of skins on the wall. 
We want trophies on the shelf and ribbons hung from those trophies. We want a degree or two that is framed and presented, a certificate in our bio. These are the things that we want. And these are the ways that we live our lives. And so when we think of Christianity and we hear things like the only way forward is to go backwards. The only way to the top is to serve. The only ways to, 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 to be lifted up is to humble yourself. We think, I can't do that. And Paul has set up this goal that is impossible for me to achieve. When you think about Paul, when you think about Paul, isn't he like the best of the Christians? He's, if anybody has won a championship, if anybody's wearing the rings, it's Paul. Paul is the best of the Christians. He's accomplished all this. So of course he can say stuff like this. But he says, I haven't reached the goal. I am not perfect. And he's not being false humble. He really hasn't. Because Paul is not using goal like a line. Paul is not repeating the idea of goal like a line you need to cross. He is saying goal like a direction you need to pursue. And that changes everything. It's not about perfection. It's not about skins on the wall. It's not about perfection. It's about pursuit. It's about chasing after Jesus. That's what he says there. It reminds me of this time when I was a kid. In our neighborhood, all, all the kids, we got together, we played football together. This one time, and it was pouring rain. We're all like, I, in my mind, there was a hundred of us out there, but it was probably more like 20 or so. And we're out there playing football and we divided up the teams and, and we were playing tackle, but we were small and, and nobody was getting hurt. And we played for, for what felt like all day and into the night. And here's the thing about it. We had no goal line. There was no score. We weren't keeping track. You know why? Because that wasn't the point. The whole point when we used to play together, remember this? The whole point when we used to play together was to play together. But somehow over time, it all became about being the best and putting the other person down and taking and manipulating and moving ahead that we start to feel like that's what all of life is about. That's what all of religion is about. And the point is not to win anything. The point is not to cross some sort of goal. The point is just to chase after Jesus to walk with Jesus, to, to love Jesus. Like I said, it's not about perfection, it's about pursuit. It isn't about winning, it's about playing. It isn't about achieving, it's about attempting. And listen to me, this whole thing about perfection is derailing some of you. You're getting all tripped up on this perfection thing. You haven't accepted Jesus because you're waiting for you to perfectly understand all the doctrines of grace. Like you're not gonna trust Jesus until you fully understand what happens to us when we die. How does this work? How does he save me? How does Jesus forgive me? You're not trusting him until you perfectly know. You're not trusting him until you clean up your life and you have this perfect lifestyle to where Jesus will finally accept you. You're not trusting him until the perfect time when your mom is in town or you're not real busy or your daddy won't be mad. You're trying to find perfection before you get Jesus. And I'm telling you, there's no such thing. There's no perfection. Just trust. And then there's others of us who have trusted Jesus. We have loved Jesus, but you've lost your passion. You've lost your excitement about following Jesus. Why? Because you trusted Jesus and it didn't go perfectly the way you thought it would. You messed up. You messed up. Like, I mean, you are in that spot where you know Jesus loves you. You're just not sure if Jesus likes you. 
You're sitting in that spot right there thinking that I'm not really a good Christian. Why? Because I messed up. Nobody is expecting perfection. Jesus isn't. You don't have to be perfect. So here's what I hope, that we would walk away here this morning really thinking about this, really getting this in our mind. It's not about perfection. It's about pursuits. It's not about perfection. It's about pursuit. Y'all fill in the blanks. It's not about It's about it's exactly right. So let me free you from this unchristian expectation of perfection. You don't have to be perfect to get in here. You don't have to be perfect to stay in here. You are loved where you are, the way you are. And Jesus loves you so much that he's not going to leave you there. Jesus is all about making you more and more like him over time. So give yourself some grace. Make sure you're actually chasing Jesus, knowing that to truly know him, you will suffer the loss of your previous perspectives and goals and values and identity. You will die to yourself, and that may take some time, but it is a good thing. It is a long, messy walk with Jesus. You don't have to be perfect. And as a church, let's be the kind of people where imperfect people experience kindness. Give each other grace as we give ourselves grace. Let's challenge each other in our small groups to be more Christ-like. Let's not worry as much who they vote for or where they stand on some policy or what their preferences are, but that they are chasing after Jesus. And let's celebrate every time somebody takes steps towards Jesus. Let's be that kind of imperfect place. There's this church I know that does this really corny thing. It says a perfect place for imperfect people. Super corny, but I like it. Let's be that kind of church. A few weeks ago, uh, that same son who's not going to spend his Saturday evenings with me and I were, um, were driving up to northwest Arkansas. We were going to the game. You remember that tragic, horrible, mean game? We were going to that game, and uh, as we took off, I know the way, but Google told me that there was this alternative route. I know how to get to Fayetteville, but Google said, and Leland says, are we going to follow that? It says it saves 20 minutes. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, there's kickoff at this time. We got to park. I've never done that. Okay, let's do it. So we push the button and we accept that route. And so Google told me I need to turn north and I get off of the interstate and almost immediately I need to turn west. Now I know there's the pig trail, that sort of thing, but this wasn't it. This was some other way. And, and, and I go on this uh, highway, I, I turn off onto a highway and then I turn onto this uh, like county road type of thing. And it's this blacktop, it was nice, it was paved and everything. The speed limit was 30, but I could see forever over these um, cow pastures. So I was going faster than that. And so I took off and, and we're riding these hills and we're, we're cruising. It was really a very nice drive and a very nice evening. And all of a sudden the road got smaller, smaller. And then all of a sudden the road was no longer paved. All right. And so this unpaved road turns into this dirt gravel sort of like where all this uh, uh, dust is flying. And I can hear the all along my truck, which is one of the worst sounds in the whole world. Um, but I could hear that and, and we're going along and I'm thinking I'm getting a lot less confident and Leland's like, um, uh, uh, are we lost? And I was like, I have no idea, son. I've never been here before, you know? And so he's like, so then we're lost. And I was like, probably, right? You know, but I kept saying, Google knows, Google knows, it says to go. And so we went a little further and then all of a sudden it led me into a, uh, a dirt road. And then there was this uh, uh, natural oak tunnel, all right? These oak trees were all, they were going to eat me. And it said to keep going. And so I kept going and, and I drove into that. And then all of a sudden there's this hard left and there is this bridge. Stopped me in my tracks. It was a super old bridge. We're talking like where the red fern grows, that sort of old bridge, right? 
And one car can pass across this at one time, all right? And I thought to myself, nope, I am not doing this. And I don't know what the bottom of the bridge was made out of, but I have seen dirt bike trails in the rain look more steady and and strong than this thing. So I stop right there, and, and, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to do this, you know. And, and I back up the truck a little bit, and Leland's like, it'll be fine. And I'm like, no, it's not going to be fine. And I didn't tell him at the time, but, and I'm not even being silly here, but I, honest to goodness, have a regular recurring nightmare of driving my truck over a bridge that, that falls and all the chaos of trying to save my children out of the— uh, I will wake up sweating and, and regularly, right? And so I don't know if it's my love for my truck or my children, but— Satan has put those things together, you know, and then he planted it in Arkansas. And so I'm standing at this bridge and I backed up and I was like, I don't know what to do. And Leland goes, oh, are we going to turn around? I said, I don't know. I literally looked at the river thing. I've got four wheel drive. I'll just, I'll just go down and cross this river, you know. And so then about that time, this little car from the other side just comes right across. And then this Tahoe that was lifted and, and all countrified went across that thing. And I thought, if it can hold that, it can hold me. And so, calmly, adult-like, I pull up to the bridge, oh, oh my God, and I drove across that whole bridge, you know? Just like that, Leland had his camera. It's like, it's fine, Dad, it's fine. It's, yeah. It took me 30 minutes to calm down. My heart hurts. I still will tear up a little bit thinking about that bridge. It's called Silver Bridge, if y'all want to look it up. Or Death Bridge. Um, I... I put in a Google review. A few minutes later, I turn right, turn left, I'm back on the interstate. And according to the clock, which I know how to read clocks, I saved no time, none at all. It was just a big, scary diversion, a big, scary distraction. And some of you need, what I needed was a course correction. A lot of the goals that you have in your life a lot of the things that you are stressed over, the things that are keeping you up at night, the things that you keep telling your friends about, the things that give you heartburn, the things that are dominating your to-do list are scary distractions. It's not that they don't have value. It's just that they are not all valuable. So put them in their place. Take care of them, but chase after Jesus. Get back on the interstate. And some of you have never been on the interstate at all. You have no idea how to get to Northwest Arkansas. And now's the time for you to trust Jesus. I'm not saying Northwest Arkansas is heaven. I'm just saying now's the time to trust Jesus. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.